the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Well, today we're continuing our Shout for the Victory uh, series. We started out two weeks ago, we just shouted for the victory. And sometimes you, the shout comes before the victory in God's uh, economy. Because faith calls those things which be not as though they were sometimes. It goes ahead and believes before it sees, right? We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And so we shouted for the victory. We believe the victory's coming. And then last week, what did we do? We talked about how to handle the victory when it comes. Who's going to get the credit for all this? Well, it's not us. We're just walking it out with him. All the credit and all the glory goes to Jesus. And we talked about having humility for the journey last week. And so this week, I believe the Lord wants to show us something that's really exciting, and I'm calling it part three, enjoying the victory. Enjoying the victory. What's the root word of enjoying? Joy. We are supposed to enjoy life. Did you know that? Somebody like, yeah, but I don't know. (laughs) well that's what i'm trying to tell you today get your eyes back on jesus if you've made life too hard it's really not that complicated it is hard though isn't it i don't want to make light of anybody's issues but we are supposed to enjoy life even in the hard times philippians chapter 4 verse 4 says always be full of joy in the lord and i say it again Rejoice. What are the root words of rejoice? Re-joy. Re means to do it again. Stir it up. Joy. That's how we're supposed to live this Christian life. Stirring up. Rejoicing. I don't guess y'all are hearing me good this morning. Is this thing on... Richard, cut this thing up. I, I don't think they can hear me. Anybody ever done that dance right there? That's the stirring it up dance. <laughs> I'm sorry. She, I'm, she's embarrassed. I only know a few dances, you know. It's the potato potato digger, you know, and the stir it up dance. <laughs> We're stirring the joy up. Say stir it up. It's okay to have fun in church. That's why you should have fun. What is biblical joy? You know, everybody will tell you that there's a difference in happiness and joy. Happiness is what the world has. It's conditional. But joy is permanent. I looked up the the word joy in the Greek, and it's the word chara. C-H-A-R-A. It's a Greek noun which describes an inner gladness and delight. So it's something that happens on the inside. It must be because I see some of your faces and I don't see any on the outside. (laughs) Joy in the New Testament is virtually always used to signify a feeling of happiness. Now, check this. Based on spiritual realities. 
and independent of what happens in the natural realities. What are spiritual realities that should bring us joy? Well, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Jesus died on the cross to take away our sins. He was raised for our justification so that we could live with Him. I mean, there's reasons, there's spiritual realities. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. That's good news. That gives me joy. And that's a spiritual reality. And you can't take that from me. I don't care what happens in the natural. I win because the spiritual realities have already spoken. This word of God is true from beginning to end. And it tells from beginning to end. And I see that we win. And that's a spiritual reality. And so that that gives me joy for the journey. Say, stir it up. For Christians, joy is just a choice. It's It's always an option. Always there for the taking. We're going to talk about Nehemiah. The first thing I see about Nehemiah, Nehemiah is an example of finding joy through purpose. We're going to talk about different ways to stir up the joy. And having purpose is a huge way to do it. And if I were to ask you, most of you might not even know that Nehemiah is a book in the Bible. It is. If I were to ask you to quote something from Nehemiah, some of you may. Anybody can quote anything from Nehemiah? I bet if I told you that Nehemiah is the one who says the joy of the Lord will be your strength. I bet you'd say, oh, I know that. I've heard that one. So we know one verse from Nehemiah, right? It actually says a bunch of stuff in Nehemiah 8.10. And it says, don't be dejected and sad. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Gives you an option. Okay, I'll do the hands for you. Dejected and sad or the joy of the Lord and strength. Which one do you choose, you see? But Nehemiah, he was just a regular fellow. He was living in the Persian Empire, and uh, he got a job down at the palace, so to speak. He clocked in. He was the uh, cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, who was the, the king of the Persian Empire who took over when they destroyed the Babylonians, who had destroyed the Jews. Well, Nehemiah was a Jew. He, his family had been brought into exile at that time, but he had grown up, you know, where he was at, and he had uh, got the job at the palace, and he was the, the, the king's cupbearer. But he had a deep sense of being one of God's people, the Jews. They always kept a sense of, hey, we're the chosen. And so when some of his friends made a journey to Jerusalem and came back, they told Nehemiah, man, it's bad shape down there. See, at this time, Jerusalem had been set free from the Babylonian Empire and everything, and it wasn't under rule by anybody. It was, it was just a torn down mess. And they said the walls are torn down. Uh, there's no government there. The, the outside enemies come in and plunder everything. Anytime we try to get something started there, Jerusalem is in sad, sh- sad shape. And so it, this hurt Nehemiah. Because he had a deep sense. He's never even been to Jerusalem. But he had a deep sense of being one of God's people. And he had a 
a hunger for things of God. So what did he do? Well, he humbled himself and prayed. And he began to fast. Isn't that what we've done as a church? We look and we see the walls of America crumbling. We see that the nation that we're living in is turning from God. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face. Then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. And we hear that scripture and we say, we got to do something. We've heard that the state that America is in, our nation. And that's the same way Nehemiah was feeling. I got to do something. So he humbled himself and prayed. That doesn't say exactly what he heard from God. But the next thing Nehemiah did is he went to the king. And he brought him his cup. He was a cupbearer. He just brought, he was the wine guy, you know. He, he comes walking up. But the thing is, the wine is supposed to bring the king merriment. And the cupbearer is supposed to be a happy guy. And if the cupbearer comes before the king and he's all dejected and sad, well, he ain't being a good cupbearer and off goes his head. They didn't play back in those days. But Nehemiah, nevertheless, came to the cup with his cup and he gave it to the king. And the king said, Nehemiah, why are you looking so dejected? And at the risk of his own life, Nehemiah said, King, how can I be happy when my people are suffering? The Lord's city has no walls, no protection. All of these things are going on. And God must have heard Nehemiah while he was humbling himself and praying and fasting. He must have put in the king something in the king. You know God can use pagans? God can use ungodly people for his purposes. And so this ungodly king, Artaxerxes, he says, well, what can I do for you, Nehemiah? And Nehemiah says, let me go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Write me, you know, safe passage. Uh, You're okay. Give me your okay. Give me the materials I need to build. Help me, king. And the king says, well, how long are you going to be gone? He says, until we get the job done. He says, you go. And so Nehemiah goes and he searches out the city. First time he sees Jerusalem and he's, it's like a heap of ruins. Not one stone left on top of each other. And so Nehemiah, he has the proclamation of the king and he begins to talk to the residents who are staying in the vicinity, the God's people. And he stirs them up. And he brings some with him that want to go with him. And so he's got a crew together he says let's do this let's rebuild the walls nehemiah must have been a good leader he inspired people to want to do god's business and so they begin to build but guess what happens when you begin to build the enemies always come see if you're not doing anything for god the enemies leave you alone they don't even want to stir you up they don't want to get you upset but the enemies sanballat and tobiah Two of the probably little mayors of neighboring cities, ungodly men. They came and they began to ridicule the work. They thought, you know, if we make fun of them, we'll just dishearten them and get them to quit. One of them said something about, man, that little old wall y'all building, if a squirrel goes across the top of that, that'll knock it over. And they just laughing. Don't despise small beginnings, the Bible says. You've got to start somewhere. Don't let nobody talk about your, your dream and what God's trying to do in your life. Or in your church. Don't let nobody make fun of the small beginnings. Anyway, when they realized that that wasn't going to stop them, then they begin to make threats. Well, you keep doing that. We're going 
Why? Did, why? Because they didn't want the wall to the wall to be built. They didn't want there to be protection for God's people. They wanted to continue to plunder God's people and to take advantage of God's people. So, so uh, they begin to threaten them. Nehemiah assigned every man a, a place. He said, you live over here, will you take that spot in front of your house and build the wall? And he, and he, he organized and he knew what he was doing. He was a good leader. And he had a plan. And I'm sure he was praying it out every step of the way. Men don't just do good things by themselves. They hear from God. And they began a plan. And they began to build the wall right in front of them. But it only took 52 days for them to complete the wall. That's pretty amazing. But just in those 52 days, all these things I'm telling you happened. The people grew tired. They began to get disheartened with all the, the mocking and all the danger and the people threatening them and everything. And so the people got disheartened. And Nehemiah says in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Nehemiah stirred up the people, says, don't you realize there's a cause? We're doing the Lord's work here. Is there not a cause? And it stirred the hearts of the people. And they said, we're going to build. We're going to fight through this tired, this weary flesh. Don't be weary in well-doing. For you will reap in due time. Don't be weary. So they worked. At one point, they had a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other because the enemy was so close that they, they was having to dig with this hand and, and fend off the enemy with the other. But they watched each other's back, and they kept fighting. And then the enemy got this brave idea. I'm going to pay off one of the prophets of God. And he did. He found a prophet, a so-called prophet of God, that they paid him to go and tell Nehemiah to come down off the wall and speak with your enemies. God wants you to go speak with your enemies to make peace. What do you think Nehemiah did? Well, we'll finish that up later. But I want to say today that your purpose needs joy. And your purpose breeds joy. Are you listening? If you're going to fulfill your purpose in God, you're going to have to have joy. It needs joy. It is your strength. But also your purpose is the thing that stirs up your joy. It breeds joy. The work of a man or a woman's hands to see something come to completion, to do stuff for the Lord, to be a part of the Lord's work stirs up joy in your heart. And so having purpose is crucial for the child of God. You're not here by accident. God has a plan. Who are we? Look at the bottom part of that. We are a hospital hope and a fire igniting the passionate pursuit of true purpose in people's lives. See, people, they come in here and they think their purpose is to work at Walgreens or their purpose is to make a check and just survive or their purpose is to get home in the afternoon and, and watch the TV or their purpose is to find this 
person that's going to complete them. We have all these purposes that we come up with on our own. But how about we fast and we pray and we find out what God's real purpose for our life is. And as we come to church, this is what you're doing. Something deep inside of you is calling out for purpose. You may not even know why you're going to church, but you feel a stirring. I'm beginning to realize my life is so much more important than I ever could have dreamed or imagined. I thought I was just one of seven billion, but no, God walks with me. God works through me. He talks to me. He talks through me. God wants to use me. Say, stir it up. (laughs) I'm not just preaching. I'm telling you the truth. I mean, if anybody could have had an excuse to be sad and gloomy, it was Jesus. I mean, if you created the world, and you came to the world you created, and they couldn't find even one room for you to be born in, (laughs) that's amazing. I might have been offended, so I'm going back. I don't know what I was thinking coming down here. Y'all can't even find a room for me to be born. You're going to put me with the, the mules? He's born. They got to rush off to Egypt. The king's trying to kill him. He has to run most of his youth. He grows up and starts his ministry. The devil comes immediately. To, to try to trick him. He goes about doing good. And everywhere he goes, people are against him. You know, when you feel like everybody's against you, it's probably because you're doing the Lord's work. He did nothing but good. He healed folks. He taught folks. He went to his own hometown and they tried to throw him off a cliff. It says his own family didn't even believe in him at first. So when, when you are tempted to be sad and dejected because you're trying to serve the Lord and you're trying and you feel in your heart that you're doing everything that you know to do and there's detractors and, and especially within the church, don't worry about it. You're here to please one. You're just here to please one and that's all that matters. And Jesus kept His focus. He kept His focus all the way to Calvary. He kept his focus when the people he came to save were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And he refused to be sad and dejected. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. It wasn't the joy of the cross, I can assure you. Because that natural reality held no joy. But it was the spiritual reality that one day what he was doing on that cross, the joy awaiting him, it was the joy, the spiritual reality of one day it would be possible for him to have a relationship with you, Sharon. Miranda, Misty, Mary Ellen. It was the joy awaiting him 
that he endured the cross. It was the spiritual reality that he, he held on to despite everything coming against him in the natural. When it seemed like everybody had turned on him. He said, I come to do the will of my Father. Whatever he says do, I do. Whatever he says for me to say, I say. And he just did. You know, isolation squelches joy. See, Jesus was all about relationships. His joy was the, the thought that there would be a relationship with you once you understood the truth. When you get isolated, when you don't make friends, when you just say, I'm just trying to get through and I don't really need nobody, you're missing the point, and you're squelching joy in your life. Joy, as hard as relationships are, joy comes from relationships. You say, but man, you don't know some of the relationships I've had. But you hadn't had the relationships with the right people, I guess. On our banner, it says we're a warm, fun-loving family. That's a relationship we'd like to welcome you to. We're warm. I hope when you came here today, you felt welcomed. We're fun-loving. Joy just, just causes you to have fun. We like to have fun. Is there something wrong with that? Should we be more serious? We're, we're family. Now, family may mix it up sometimes. Brothers and sisters may scuffle, but in the end, those relationships are worth it. They are worth it, so stir it up. Show me that picture. That, this is a picture somebody sent me. I think it was last Sunday at Steak and Shake. I counted 10 Passion Church members wearing those hats. I was here last Sunday, I think it was last Sunday or either the Sunday before, and you know how people hang around after the service, fellowship, and can't, just can't leave. You know, the Spirit of God is here, and they don't want to leave, and so they talk and talk, and at the end, somebody says, where, where are y'all going for lunch? And it's just haphazardly, all those people decided to go together for lunch and wear those hats. Now, you know they would say, if you were there, was there fun at that steak and shake that day? Did you have fun? relationships stir up joy if you don't have a personal relationship with anybody here at the church yet hold on it's coming we can't make relationships happen they just do but over time you will get to know people here and it will draw you closer into the family you'll feel so I mean, it will stir up some joy in you. This will no longer be pastor guy's church or I go there because of my, my cousin took me there or whatever. It'll be your church. And that's the way God wants it. This is our church. Relationships stir up joy. So just a hint, maybe somebody want to ask somebody that they never met before to lunch today or something. That's how we proactively stir up joy. Amen? Light is also an incubator for joy. L-I-G-H-T. Light. What's today? Daylight savings time. <laughs> whoop, whoop. <laughs> Y'all don't know how excited I am about that. 
By this time of year, darkness, go to work in the dark, go home in the dark, it's cold and all these things. It is springing up and daylight savings time. Now there will be light. And I say, let there be light. I get so pent up feeling that I can't do anything around the yard or do anything in the house. It seems like you go home and it's just time to go to bed or something. I love light. You can ask Angie, man. I I love when it comes daylight savings time. Even if we've lost an hour and even if most of us look sleepy here this morning a little bit. Walking in light causes your joy to hatch. Light is an incubator for joy. Colossians 1.11 says, may you be filled with joy. Always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live where? In the light. See, light, there's natural light, but there is also spiritual light. Don't allow spiritual darkness into your life. What I'm saying is a fancy way of saying don't get involved in sin. There's no joy in it. Sin may give you a temporary pleasure in the flesh, but it's always going to take you somewhere in the spirit that you don't want to go. It is going to rob you of joy. You're going to, you're, it's going to rob you of you feeling right with God, and that's going to rob you of your source of joy. Sin will rob you of your joy. Stay in the light. You need strength. Darkness brings heaviness. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Darkness brings heaviness. And we need to be, we need to have light and we need to be lightweight. Because we got a race to run. We don't want to be like emotional bag ladies carrying around everything and every darkness, every every thread of darkness we've ever been through heaping on our shoulders and the devil throwing condemnation on top of that, and we're just bowed down like the devil's old pack mule. Uh Uh-uh. Walk in the light and stay light. That's what it means. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. You can walk free in this life. Another thing. Don't take on that which is not yours to bear. Are these good to you so far? I'm trying to tell you how to enjoy the victory. Don't take on those things which are not yours to bear. See, I used to be a perfectionist, and I'm in recovery mode. I've been recovering for 20-something years since I've been saved. But I'm the kind of person who could walk in here and see every chair that's out of alignment. I see er my natural tendency sees everything that is not right. And my perfectionist tendencies make me want to correct everything that's not right make me believe i can correct things better than anybody else can do nobody can do it like i can do it so i begin to heap all these things and make them my responsibility to fix the whole wide world and i can't even fix my own life so why would i want to heap on me all these cares and all this anxiety of everything that's wrong in the world If Jesus didn't fix it all while he was down here, then how do I expect to fix it all? Jesus is not up there biting his fingernails on the throne. 
I used to, when I got saved even, I, I would go to church, then I would go to the nursing home and play, then I would go to the jail and minister, or, or we'd have an outreach Saturday. I, my weekend would be booked up. Trying, I was trying to please the Lord. I thought the more I did, the more I pleased the Lord. And then at the end of the day, I would go to bed and I wouldn't say, whoa, I sure did good. I'd say, but that one guy, I should have talked to him and I walked the other way. And I would beat myself up over what I didn't do. And my wife would look at me and say, are you crazy? Are you nutty? Can't you just enjoy what you did? What you did accomplish. Now, some people are opposite. Now, they don't want to do anything. They don't see nothing wrong with just lazing around all day, every day. They don't have any sense of purpose, and they don't, they don't have that eye that notices things that's wrong. They just, whatever will be, will be. They're like Hakuna Matata, you know what I'm saying? Now, there's a balance. There are things to do. Just stay in your lane and do your things. And if you're not one of those people, you're a Kuna Matata kind of person, come on, get in your lane and do your part. And you will stir up joy and you'll feel better about your life. Stir it up. Joy comes when you stay in your lane. That means you trust God for the rest. That means you realize you're not God. Stay in your lane. Sometimes our minds can have more lanes than the L.A. freeway. You know what I'm saying? Our minds are going all over the place, especially women folks. You know how y'all are. Us men, at least, we can, us men, we have the zone where we can cut our brain off and just sit there. And my wife would say, what are you thinking? I was like, nothing. And she don't believe me, but that's true. Because <laughs> men are like one thing at a time. Our brain shifts to where we're thinking. But women are like cross-mutating. I didn't mean to stir up the genders in here. I was, I'm sorry. I, that was just for free. But, but really, we can... We can take on so much and we're thinking so hard that we overwhelm ourselves and there's no joy in that. We can make ourselves sick with all the cares and the worries. And, and God says in Philippians 4, 6. In fact, let's turn there. I want you to see this. I want you to lay your eyes upon it if you have a Bible. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Now, this is written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the holy spirit of course but the apostle paul if you've read anything about his life i think he had a few things going on he had the care of the churches and he had the perils by sea and perils by robbers and all these things they're trying to kill him everywhere he goes and he's the apostle he's got all these church plants and his life is really complex but he's the one that says in philippians 4 6 be anxious for nothing do I need to pull out the Greek word for nothing? I think that's pretty plain, right? Be anxious. You know what I mean, anxious? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer 
and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, realize you're not God. And when something becomes anxious to you, it's too big for you, just pray and turn it over to God and be thankful that you have somebody to turn it over to. And the peace of God Just feel that for a moment. Let me say that again. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. I love what verse 8 says. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, let's meditate on these things. I mean, we're, if you're going to meditate, you get to choose what you meditate on. If your mind feels like an L.A. freeway and you got heaviness in your heart, you got a boulder in the pit of your stomach, and I have been experiencing some of this myself, so I'm, I'm preaching out of my life experience here. Choose what you're going to meditate on. And we have plenty of good things to meditate on. Plenty of promises. We can... We can pray to God, we can be thankful, we can cast our cares over on Him because He cares for us, and then we can think about those spiritual realities that bring up joy. See, when you're meditating on the wrong things, when you're letting all the possibilities of, oh, this could happen, and this, what, worries and cares, it says don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow, you can't even take care of what's going to happen today. Your words for today are sufficient enough. At some point, you're going to have to trust that God's got this. So think on good things. And then you're going to be stirring up joy so that you can be part of the solution. And then God will be able to use you in a deeper way because your strength, your, your strength, Strengthened by his joy. The spiritual reality is God's got this. God's got this. Relax. You know, Nehemiah put everybody in a section of wall. He didn't tell this guy, okay, I want you to work here half the day and now I want you to go down to the fish gate and finish that up. Then I want you to go down there to the sheep gate and work on that a little while. He didn't have everybody going in ten directions. He didn't give responsibility for the whole thing to everybody. He gave he was in he had the responsibility, and he said, "I want you to work here, you to work here, you to work here." And he needed those people to stay in their lanes. And in fifty-two days, they completed the wall because everybody stayed in their lanes and trusted the process. If not, 
Everybody is overwhelmed. and Nobody has strength. But what happens when adversity comes? And we know it's coming. Jesus says in this world, you shall have tribulation. It's a coming. What do you do when Sanballat and Tobiah come? When they begin to threaten you, they begin to try to intimidate you, they try to mock you and make fun of you and get you all worried. What happens when you get laid off on that job that you've been at for 20 years and you was hoping to retire there? You're like, what? Or you go to the mailbox and there's divorce papers. But I had given her all of me. All my life was invested. What happens when the doctor says there's nothing that we can do? You think people are not hearing those things today? Psalms 94, 19 says, When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Consolation means your comfort. See, there are going to come times, there are temptations, there are trials in this life, and you will experience them. There will be adversity. But you've got to trust Jesus. You've got to trust the spiritual realities that in the end we win and that will give you joy to endure and to overcome. Are you listening? Your consolation, your comfort brought me joy. Yes, anxiety. I say it's easy. Well, let's have no anxiety. But if any one of these things happen to any of us, it's going to bring anxiety. And we're all faced with anxiety. But it's what you decide to meditate on after that. Who you decide to trust. If you begin to trust you in that situation, you know your limitations. You're going to be overwhelmed. And it's going to bring you under. But we soar on wings as eagles. And now what you was praying this morning, Richard? When the storm clouds of life come rolling in, we don't go under, we go over. Woo, we rise on those currents. It's the Spirit of the Lord. And the world don't understand it. And the world sees you and you're bringing glory to God by soaring over your mountains of defeat. When everybody else goes under, you go up. Anybody ever heard of the minor prophet Habakkuk? Easy for me to say. Habakkuk. He's a minor prophet not because he's little or not because the, the words that he wrote are not important. They have major and minor prophets because of the length of their prophecies in the Bible. But what he says is just as important as an Isaiah or a Jeremiah, any of the major prophets. He's got three chapters in the Bible. Habakkuk lived before Nehemiah. He was there when the Babylonians originally came and ransacked Jerusalem. He was the prophet that was prophesying to God's people during this awful time of the Jewish history. 
Okay, so you lost your job, but all around him people are losing their life. You lost their spouse. Your spouse is dead in the uprising. I mean, this, ain't, this isn't no little thing. I mean, it's, it's total devastation. The people of God are being taken off into exile or killed. Every life, bit of life that you thought you had built is gone. It's a new reality now, and he's the prophet with the responsibility of prophesying to God's people. I imagine that there might be just a little bit of anxiety in Habakkuk. In Habakkuk 3.16, he said, I trembled inside when I heard this. See, God was speaking to him. What if God came to you and told you that this was about to happen? Oh, my goodness. I trembled inside when I heard this, and my lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. He says, I will wait quietly. See, that's one of our problems. We all want to speak the problem. We want to go tell everybody what's going wrong and rehearse it and get other people to join in with our sorrow. There ain't no joy in sorrow. He says, I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. In other words, I'm going to get my eyes forward and what God will do. And even though the fig trees have no blossoms, even though there's no grapes on the vine, my, my belly is, is screaming out for food. Even though the olive crops fail, the fields lie empty and barren. Even though the flocks die in the field and the cattle barns are empty. Yet, what a big word right there. Most of us would have just kept on saying all the things that's going wrong. But Habakkuk said, yet, Y-E-T, I will rejoice in the Lord. He didn't deny the things that were going on, but he said, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. And we have much to learn from Habakkuk. The psalmist declared in Psalms 112.7, they will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast and trusting in the Lord. That's what we're called to do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Trust in the Lord. Even in adversity. Even when everything has caved in. Jesus looked at His disciples and said, Will y'all go too? All the other disciples thought this was too hard. Peter says, Where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to turn? There's going to come a time in your life you've got nothing to hold on to but the spiritual realities. And that's where rubber meets the road. That's where faith arises. And we are men and women of faith. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. We fight the good fight of faith. Faith believes in the spiritual realities and not what they can see with their eyes in the natural Adversity only hardened Nehemiah's resolve. When the enemies came against him like a flood, he set up a standard that Jesus, God, 
I'm trusting you. Let's rally the troops. Let's not succumb to opposition. Stir up the joy. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. Faith brings joy. If life is getting too heavy for you, it's just a sign that you may have have lost sight of Jesus. Or maybe you don't know Him. I don't know how people that don't know Jesus get through another day. When I was 32 years old before I came to Jesus, and I'm not sure how I would have gotten through another day. God may have saved me before on my last day. I, it, life just held no meaning for me. I didn't understand why all this stuff was happening. It just seemed so meaningless. But when somebody showed me the cross of Christ and showed me that I'm important and showed me the spiritual realities of there, that there is everlasting life and that there is a God who, who loves me and cares about me and wants to be with me and has a plan for my life, everything changed. Billy Sunday, the great evangelist, says, if you have no joy, there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. Joy arises from the realization that you're loved and valued by God. Joy arises from the realization that you're loved and valued by God. If you don't believe that, my friends, I don't know what else to tell you. If you don't see him up on that cross displaying the greatest exhibition of love ever, and if that doesn't move you to a sense of faith, a sense of joy, that you're loved and valued, then I don't know what I could do for you. That's why we always say you got to keep your why before you. Why you do what you do. You can be serving in the church. You can be working at a job. You can be pursuing a career. You can be doing the thing that God told you to do, whatever it is. And if you just get into it and you get bogged down in the day-to-day, you start complaining and pointing and everything, you lose sight of your why, and then all of a sudden there's no joy in it and you're ready to, to throw in the towel. That's why I always say we got to remember our why. Because we love God, we love His people, and we love His purposes. And see, God loves the people, and His purposes are about the people. And the thing is, is God is about others. And self has no joy. Self is never happy. If you just live for yourself, it's going to be a miserable life. There are going to be moments where you get what you want, but it's never fulfilling. You Okay, so you got the snowmobile. It don't snow around here, but you got it, all right? You've been wanting it. You've been looking it up on the Internet, and you got it. And there's a momentary satisfaction in that. But then next week it's like, well, what if I had two snowmobiles? And so it's... Self is never happy, and it never will be. There's not enough stuff you could give self to be happy. But when you look at Jesus, and you derive 
who you are out of His purpose. And His purpose is other people. There is a continual bounty of joy that comes because it is blessed, more blessed to give than to receive. Keep our why before us. You know, as a church, the walls that we are building, I thought about this. There are banners on our walls. That's the walls, that's the, that's the purpose God has given us as a church. We're eventually going to go into all the world and reach people for Jesus. We're going to make disciples. We're going to show people the heart of Jesus to love one another and help each other discover purpose and who we are as a people. We're going to do these things and we're going to be genuine, passionate, and relevant about it. We're going to see people know God and find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference in their life. The walls that we are building are right here on our walls. And long after we've moved out of this building and got wider walls, we'll still be building these walls. And that's no Trump reference whatsoever, I'm sorry. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is is fruit produced in your life by the Holy Spirit. Jesus stirred up His joy. He sent the 72 out, two by two, to go and preach. And when they came back, they had good news. Man, we we saw your power working. We was able to reach others. We saw him healed and delivered. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 21, it says, at that same time, Jesus was filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Say, stir it up. Jesus stirred it up. He got excited about the plans. Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is the source of our joy. He is the power behind those spiritual realities. He is the power to bring it to pass. He is the power in us that makes that that fruit a reality in our life and people see our joy and want to partake and say, where is this Jesus that I may find this joy? Which is evident in your life. David declared, In Psalms 21, 6, he says, For you make him to be most blessed and a blessing forever. You make him joyful with the joy of your presence. See, there's joy in the presence of God. Christians should be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in Walmart. The world says, y'all crazy. Yeah, but at least we're not defeated. We're crazy. We're nuts. But we're screwed on to the right bolt. We are a peculiar people. We should be. We should not be like the world. There should be a light in us. Joy is in your spirit. There's no joy in the flesh. You choose to live according to God's spirit in you. You ask the Holy Spirit to fill you every day. Fill me with joy. Fill me with peace. Fill me with a love for the lost. Fill me with purpose. God's say, stir it up. So, so Sanballat and Tobiah, the enemies of, of Nehemiah, 
They hired a priest, a so-called prophet of God. He may have been a legitimate prophet at one time. I don't know. But they paid him off to go to Nehemiah and tell him, look, you really need to go. God told me to tell you, you need to come down from the wall and you need to go speak with Sanballat and Tobiah. But the thing was, it was all a ruse. Sanballat and Tobiah were willing, ready to kill Nehemiah in that meeting. But in Nehemiah 6, verse 2 and 3, Nehemiah says, But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? I ain't coming down. I know what God told me to do, and I will not be distracted. I am not coming down off this wall. You can do what you want to do. You can lie. You can steal. You can cheat. But as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. We'll be up here with our shovels, and we'll be up here with our swords, and we'll be doing the work of the Lord. And I am not coming down for any of your lies, any of your distractions. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, who for the joy set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame, now is sat down at the right hand of glory where he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. He's up there praying for me. And if he's praying for me, his prayers come true. I know I'm going to get it done. There's nothing you can do to stop me. I'm going to stay up on the wall. I'm going to continue to build. You can either build with me or you can get a shovel or you can, you can hit the road. <laughs> so what did we learn today? There's going to be enemies. We need a shovel. <laughs> that is good, Miss Margie. We need to be digging. Woo, I love that. There's work to be done. There's purpose in this. So whatever the devil is trying to do, to stop you and your purpose in your life. Whatever, you, whatever God has told you that you are to be, don't be distracted. Don't come down. Don't let distractions, don't let adversity, don't let anything stop you. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You, you stay with your purpose. You build relationships with other like-minded people. You stay in the light. Don't get caught up in the darkness and the sin. You walk in your lane of your responsibility. You stay with what you know to be true, your faith, and you stay filled with the Holy Spirit. And you'll produce fruit. And your life will count. And you'll hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. You didn't quit when the going got tough. You endured till the end. The same that, shall, that endures to the end shall be saved. Bow your head with me one time. I'm going to pray for you right now. God, I know it's been tough on some people in here. I know some people in here may have started out with all kind of enthusiasm about what your plan for their life was, and they may have gotten sidetracked, and they may have been talked down off the wall. But you're a God who helps us get back up to where we need to be. A good man may fall, but he gets back up. And I know these are good men and women here. They're here today because their souls are hungry for the Word of God. They're hungry to make a difference. They're crying out for purpose. 
direction. God, and you are a God of all these things. You're not trying to hide it from them, but you do require that they seek you. You will be found when they seek for you with your whole heart. So if you have been derailed, just speak to God under your breath right now. Say, God, I'm, I'm getting back in the game. God, I am going to choose joy. I am, not, I am not accepting defeat. I am not listening to the voice of the enemy anymore. I'm going to run in my lane. I'm going to stay, in my, I'm going to stay my course. I'm not going to take on the cares of this whole world, but I'm going to do that which you've called me to do. And I'm going to trust you with the rest. You've got this, God. And I'm keeping my eyes on you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill me. Fill me with the joy. Let there be fruit in my life. Somebody's maybe going through such a terrible time. That anxiety is... It's all over you. You, you. You've tried to cast your cares and it just don't seem like they're leaving. Just come to the altar and try again. Call on the name of Jesus. This altar is always open. Anytime during the service, God speaks to you. You can come to this altar and you can cast your cares over on the Lord. You can lay your burdens down. This is the deposit place for your sin. This is the killing place. That's where they would transfer the sins of the people over onto the animal. And then they would slaughter the animal so that the blood may cover their sins. And if you have sin in your life right now, come to the altar and ask God to cover you with the blood of Jesus, the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. The blood of Jesus. You've lost sight of your purpose and you're just existing, and you know that there's more, you can come up here and cry out to the Lord. You can say where you are. You can do what you want to do. Maybe somebody here doesn't know Jesus. And you you more identify with what I said when I was 32 years old, and then you don't know how you're going to get through another day like this because this life is, is holding no meaning for you. Or maybe you find yourself where everything is just grand. Man, you got that new car, you're hoping to get that house, and all your hope is in the things of this world, but you find that it's still leaving you empty. Well, then you come up here, and you say, I need Jesus. You come up here, if that's you, and you don't know Jesus, you don't have a personal relationship with the one who died on the cross to forgive you, then come up here and line up across the front, and let me pray for you and introduce you to Jesus. If you're out there right now, and you need the Holy Spirit to fill you. Maybe you've been filled with the Holy Spirit before. Maybe you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost. But it's been a long time since you prayed in another language, in your spirit language. Maybe it's been a long time since you stirred up the gifts of the Spirit in you. Maybe you've lost sight of some things. Then ask God right now, fill me, Lord. Fill me. I need your power. I cannot do this by myself. I was never meant to carry this load by myself. And that same power that raised Christ from the dead, it now dwells in your mortal body and it will give you the victory. Whatever you need, you see, this is, this is the filling station. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's, there's attacks against what... What, what the church is doing in America today 
But there's good churches who are Bible teaching, loving God with all their heart, and you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Jesus is building His church, and in this church, you can come and, and find the help that you need. Whatever it is that you need, forgiveness, power, strength, a sound mind. You've got fear in your life. You need to cast it down. This is the place. This is where we energize so that we can meet this world head on Monday through Saturday. This is the place we meet so that our relationships will strengthen us and give us somebody to do life with. You say, Pastor, you're making it sound too good. I almost want to join the church. Well, come on. I'm telling you. Devil's throwing everything he can against the church. He's even getting church members to hate the church. We knew he would do these things. He's a deceiver. But the church is what Jesus is building, and we have to believe in, in what God is doing. God will, will navigate us through those choppy waters, and we will stick with the truth, and we will stay genuine to God's word. We have to believe that God is in control. And He is. Some of you just need to take in a deep breath of the Holy Spirit. And let out all that anxiety. All that darkness that has slipped upon your shoulders experience the peace that passes all understanding that will keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus our Lord. Look to Jesus, my friend. There's no other, no other name by which a man can be saved. Is there, I'm going to ask this one more time and then I'm going to release you guys. Is there anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? You have no personal relationship with Him here to tell you, you will not enter heaven by being a good person because you know you're not. I wouldn't. You're not. Nobody is. All have sinned and fallen short of the glorious standards of God. But we can be forgiven when we put our faith in Christ. In Christ alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. If you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, I'm here to pray with you right now. As as Brother Chad sings that whatever song he has on his heart right now, feel welcome to come and pray with me. And at the end of this song, I'll dismiss. If you're a believer, pray for others right now. Amazing.
the earth shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun will be to shine, but God who called me my friends. He is forever yours. Stand to your feet. Is there joy in this place? Is there a new peace in this place? Well, let's stay stirred up for the journey because we're going to enjoy the victory that God has for us as a church, as a people, as individuals. You have the victory. It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. You call upon his name. You trust in his name and not your own strength. Amen. You are released. God bless. Oh, wait. Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. Angie had something to say, and, and, I, and I want to have a place to sleep tonight, so. Uh, he kept mentioning the word anxiety, and anxiety is a big word in today's culture. You know, you hear that all the time. They have anxiety issues, and my little kid has anxiety, and anxiety's thrown around like it's this thing that, uh, you know, I know some people do have true anxiety, but I think anybody that's ever lived has had anxiety. If you have bills to pay, a job to, you know, keep, if you have a spouse or kids, you're going to have anxiety at some point or another. And the thing is, is like we, I, I want y'all to, I want to encourage you. I feel like somebody shared this with me recently about anxiety. Like, don't take that on as a badge, as a new thing. Like, well, I have anxiety, I have ADHD, I have, the, you know, all these things that are out nowadays. Anxiety, yes, there are some cases you might need a medicine, but don't, don't go immediately to the doctor to find out why you have anxiety. Seek God. Why you have anxiety? What uh, all this stuff he said today is renewing your mind in the word, choosing joy. God help me deal with all these situations that if without him would give you anxiety. You know, we have an answer and it's not pills on everything. You know, pills don't take away. It might seem like it's taking away the anxiety. You still have to deal with all the stuff that's giving you the anxiety. But the pills dumb you down or numb you down. To where you feel like, well, I don't feel stressed out about that, but you're not taking care of probably anything, and all the issues are still there. It's just like, you know, it, it seems like it helps, but it's not. God is the only thing that helps, and we can choose joy and choose to renew your mind and seek Him in all these situations to help you not to have anxiety. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.